0: So the story of Easter, guys, the story of Jesus crucified, buried, and risen. Do you know that this is the greatest story that has ever been told? It is the greatest story. How many people are movie buffs out there? You like a good movie, right? So, you know, there's the greatest movies of all time list. And I was just checking this out last night, just kind of trying to see what people said. And there were four that pretty well made the top ten list on everybody's list that you came to. They were Citizen Kane, Casablanca, The Godfather, Uh, and I got an offer that I can't refuse. And Gone with the Wind. So those are considered the four of the greatest movies ever made of all time. How many people like a good book? I love a good book, right? So what are the greatest stories ever written? Again... You're breaking my flow. <laughs> so, we're looking to replace some of our children's ministry workers now, um, taking volunteers after service today. We have extreme things going on for the kids every week, but as you can see, our kids are fired up and excited. And I love how a great job that all of our volunteers do teaching about Jesus, but in a fun, exciting way, right, where it's relevant and it's applicable to kids' lives today. These young kids, they're learning and understanding that they have a purpose and a destiny at this young age, and they're going to grow up seeking God, hungry for him, and to be on fire for what it is that he has planned for their life. Amen. So before I was so rudely interrupted... Greatest stories ever written, the three that pretty well made every list that I could find, War and Peace, Huckleberry Finn, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and Moby Dick. If you don't agree with these, look, that's just the critics out there. But these were the list of what the best stories, best movies that were ever made are. But I'm just telling you guys, there is no story, there is no story that's ever been told that is as great of a story as the story of our Jesus. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life crucified an innocent death crucified died for our sins rose from the dead and defeated death so that we could all come back into relationship with God and we could live for eternity with him it's the greatest story that's ever been told and so in churches all over the world today Easter Sunday we're hearing different uh, ways different approaches of the Easter message right the greatest story that's ever been told And I just want to go through a few things with you this morning. I just want to kind of walk through a little bit of the elements of the greatest story that's ever been told. Because when you read this, when you see some of the highlights, if you will, uh, the, 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 the moments along the way in this story of Jesus going to the cross and what happens, I'm telling you, it absolutely, even reading it again this week, blows you away at all of the miraculous things that happen. For example, starting out. Jesus, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, right? He knows what's getting ready to happen. He's getting ready to go to his death, and he's praying in the garden. And did you know, some people say this or they use this term loosely, but it says that Jesus actually sweat blood. Did you know that he actually really sweat blood? Take a look at this. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. This wasn't like, oh, you know, just kind of describing his anguish. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I had to look this up. There's actually a medical term called hematidrosis, which is the effusion of blood in one's sweat. Extreme anguish or physical strain can cause capillaries to burst, to dilate and burst and mix with sweat. Isn't that amazing? And I don't know about you, but what I think about is the agony that Jesus had to have been feeling at this moment. And he was doing all of this for us in this time. Think about that agony. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had some things that I thought were pretty agonizing, right? Things I was facing I thought were pretty serious and difficult. I've never sweat blood before. Have you? I mean, seriously, Jesus, what he was getting ready to do for you and me, think about what he was subjecting himself to willingly He was innocent of everything he was being accused of, but willingly getting ready to put himself through this kind of excruciating hell in order for us to be able to be saved. It's unbelievable. That's just one thing. Did you know that when the guards came to seize Jesus, when they came into the garden and they were asking, where is Jesus of Nazareth, when Jesus said, I am he. Did you know when he said that that it actually physically knocked all of the guards over onto their backside, knocked them off of their feet when he said that? I, I'm just I just try to picture that in my head. Like sitting here, I am he. And they just they're laid out, right? Like somebody just came in and started throwing haymakers or something. They're just laid all over the place. Listen to this. In Luke 23, no, I'm sorry. John 14, it says in verse four, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him and said, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Unbelievable. You know what that tells me? That the words of Jesus are so powerful that they can always knock the enemy on his back. And did you know that the words that Jesus spoke, that we can carry those same words in our mouth right here? Jesus is the word, right? The living word right here. When we speak these things in faith that the Bible declares, guess what? Just like those guards fell back on their backside, when you speak the word of God to the enemy, when he's staring you in the face, you can knock him on his heels and on his backside as well. I think you all probably know this, but Peter cut a dude's ear off. Did you know that? He whipped his sword out or a knife or a katana blade. I'm not really sure what they had at that time. He might have been a ninja on the side. I'm not sure. But he whipped that thing out, and he sliced the guard's ear off right there. And you know what Jesus did? He picked that ear back up, and he put it right back on that guy's head and put his hand away, and that ear was healed right back to the man's body. Isn't that amazing? In this moment, Jesus is still having, oh my gosh, he has compassion for his enemies. He's having compassion on his enemies when they're about ready to sentence him to death. What an example that this Jesus sets for us all the way through this story from beginning to end. Peter cut his ear off and Jesus healed him. Jesus was innocent in three different trials that he was held on of his crimes, three different trials, they could not find him guilty, yet they still sentenced him to death. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten a bad rap before? Have you ever been falsely accused of something, right, and, and maybe you just got, uh, somebody had a wrong impression It was kind of a bad day, maybe a bad week, maybe even a bad month that those things happened. Jesus was put on trial in the highest courts that they could have, and he was found innocent in all three of these trials, yet somehow still he got sentenced to death. Next time you're falsely accused of something, listen, don't worry, you step back and you just remember God is the one who can finish this story for you because he finished the story for Jesus in a way that was more magnificent than we could have ever conjured up on our own if we were writing this story, right? So when you're falsely accused of something, you just stand firm, you stand strong, and you know that God is fighting your battle for you and he's gonna finish the story for you. Oh, I love this. Did you know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, that there were two men along each side of him? And did you know that one of those men asked for forgiveness in his last moments? And you know what Jesus said to him? This man was a sinner. Jesus was innocent. These other two guys were not innocent. They were bad dudes, right? You know what he said to that man? And all he said was, Jesus Will you forgive me, right? He was just pleading that he wanted, he, he saw Jesus for who he was. And what Jesus said to him, he said that today you will be with me in paradise. You know what this tells me, guys? The arm of the Lord is never too short to save. No matter where we are, no matter how bad we think we've jacked things up, no matter how much we think, oh, I've done it too bad this time, oh, I've screwed it up, royalty now, royalty now, there's just no way. You don't understand, Pastor. You don't get what I've done. I beg to differ. Jesus's love and forgiveness is unconditional. I may not know what you've done, but I know that Jesus's love and his forgiveness will always overcome a humble willing heart that will receive the love of God no matter what they've been through. The arm of the Lord is never too short to save. And the man alongside Jesus on that cross found that out. And you know what? I'm kind of looking forward to one day. There's a lot of guys I want to meet in heaven and gals, but I want to meet that dude I want to go to him and I want to be like man that had to be amazing like it was almost over and Jesus showed up and you had everlasting hope in your final moment he'd probably be like dude you have no idea how glad I am that he was there that day right I'm just saying listen to this this is crazy so after Jesus dies right he says it is finished Did you know that there was this massive earthquake that actually hit the whole land? Now, you imagine that, like if I was one of the Roman guards and we just killed Jesus and this earthquake just broke out, I think I'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, I think we might have messed up on this one, guys. You know, I mean, the earth shook and it says that the veil in the temple that's that's in the holy temple, there was this giant curtain that's... I forget how many feet tall, but it's gigantic and it's thick. And that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. They said there's no way that any man physically could have ever tore that thing. And it was ripped and shredded in half right whenever Jesus died and that earthquake happened. And then get this. It said that graves of dead people actually burst open and this is crazy. There were dead people walking around in the city. Did you know that? That's true. Listen to this. Watch. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. I, you can't make this stuff up, right? I mean, Steven Spielberg's got nothing on this story right here. I'm telling you. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 through 53. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What must people have been thinking? Dead people running around the city. We got enough riffraff around here, right? But but no, the the, the graves of the saints burst open. Guys, you got to see what a cataclysmic, just a pinnacle moment that this was. This changed all of history. This was the pivot point that everything since the beginning of time had hinged upon. Everybody was waiting for the Messiah, was waiting for a way back to God, and He came, and it happened, and He ripped that veil apart, and after that everything from there on changed forever. Now, we can have access to a relationship with God. He can live in our heart, and we can know him intimately and personally. He can walk with us, never leave us nor forsake us. This moment, everything changed forever. The graves burst open. Jesus, after he rose from the grave, before he actually ascended to be with the Father in heaven, He was actually seen on the earth by hundreds of people in his risen body over 40 days. Hundreds of people. This isn't like, oh, somebody thinks they might have saw Jesus. No. All of history, all of the writings, everything accounts for this. Jesus was seen by hundreds. Look at this. In Oh, I didn't write this one down, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can read where hundreds of people at one time actually saw the risen body of Jesus. You know what that means? Guys, it means that he was everything that he said he was. Some people say, Oh, I've heard of Jesus. He was a good man, he was a good prophet, he did great things. The problem with that is, is that doesn't exalt the name of Jesus to the place that it needs to be exalted. Yeah, he was a good prophet. He was a good man. But he died and rose from the dead. Nobody had ever done that. He rose from the dead and defeated death. And he was seen by hundreds of people. First, eyewitness accounts. He was also seen by the apostles. Do you remember that in the room when he showed up? And who was the one that that needed to see a little bit more to believe? Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. What did he need to do? He needed to put his fingers in the hole of Jesus' hand. He said, he just reached out, and you you know what Jesus did? He said, go ahead, Thomas. If you need this, bro, here you go. Go ahead and put your fingers in these wounds, and you feel for yourself. I am exactly who I said I was. And you know what? God bless Thomas. We've all been in places like that before, haven't we? God, I'm just going to need to see a sign. I'm going to need to see something a little bit more to know you're here, God. i need to see something to know you're with me here, God. And you know what Jesus says? You ought to know better, but you know what? Let me just meet you right where you are. Because that's what Jesus does. He meets us where we are just like he met Thomas right where he was in his place of doubt and confusion and his lack of faith. And Thomas knew from that point on just how real the resurrected Jesus was. Amen? Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus has met me in places where I was before and didn't require me to walk my way up a bunch of steps to get to a certain point before he was ready to meet with me. When Jesus ascended into heaven after those 40 days, he finally ascended up. The Bible says that there were two angels that were there with the apostles, they were, they were there with him and as Jesus went he, and he went into the clouds, they said that he'll be back and he'll return the same way that you've seen him leave. And you know what? When Jesus comes back, he's the clouds are going to tear open and Jesus is going to come back riding on a horse ride. He's going to show up the same way as when he left. And the apostles got to see him descend up into the clouds and leave. And it says that Jesus went, he took the blood of his death and he put it on the mercy seat in heaven paid the price once and for all for our sins and then it says he sat down at the right hand of the father can i tell you something he's still sitting there today sitting and ruling from a place of rest His throne is unthreatened by anything that the enemy can do. Oh, how great our lives would be with victory if we lived every day knowing and walking in faith that Jesus is reigning on his throne in a place of rest and the enemy can't even threaten his position with one single one of his attacks. See? She's excited about this. (laughs) And the last thing I want to say about this before I kind of close with my points of why is this story so critical today? We tell this every year, but what does it need to do for us today? But before I get to that, one last thing. all There's hundreds of prophecies, guys, in the Old Testament about who the Messiah would be and when he came, what it would look like. Hundreds of prophecies. And they did a study to see what the probability, what the mathematical probability could actually even be that one man could fulfill even eight, eight of those prophecies in his lifetime. Now, the person that did this study was Dr. Peter Stoner. <sighs> Stoner. <laughs> Don't let that take away from the credibility of this, okay? Okay. They checked the guy's math over and over, all right? If he was smoking something, he, was still, he still knew what he was doing. All right. So Dr. Peter Stoner, listen to this. The likelihood that one man could fulfill even eight of the hundreds of prophecies predicted in the Old Testament since the beginning of age was one. I don't even know what this number is. It's, it's one in 10 with 28 zeros. Twenty-eight zeros. Zeros. You have to write that out. Like I don't. I'd have to have a widescreen board to show you that. Right? One out of ten in twenty-eight zeros. Listen to this. To put it in perspective, Stoner gave the following example. He said, first, blanket the entire Earth landmass with silver dollars, one hundred and twenty feet high. Second, specially mark just one of those dollars and randomly bury it." Third, ask a person to travel the earth and select the marked dollar while blindfolded from the trillions of trillions of other dollars. That man would be more likely to find that one silver dollar than a person would be likely to fulfill all just eight of those hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. Is that unbelievable or what? You know what? Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. He was the son of God. And he died for us, guys. And so we say when we tell this message, it's the story of Easter. It's the greatest story ever told, in my opinion. But do you know what? We don't tell the story just so we can hear this and, and, and hear it on Easter and feel like, okay, you know, I heard the story on Easter. I remember that now. I remember those details. The Bible says that when this gospel is preached, it's preached so that men can find everlasting life. It's preached so that we that the old man can die and we can become a new creation Again, I just want to announce to you today that Jesus did all of this. He paid this price. He went through all these things so that you, each and every one of us, could be forgiven, could be set free, and that we could live a life of power and destiny empowered by his spirit to fulfill the great calling and have the great gifts that he's imparted to us in our lives be flowing and active in us. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter four, verse 20. Now, the Bible talks about this in other places, about the new man. Now, what you've got to understand, guys, there's things when you read the Bible where, you know, Jesus spoke in parables. For example, he likened the kingdom of heaven to a a guy who owns a vineyard, right? He was using a parable to create a picture kind of metaphorically. But in this case, and this is where sometimes it gets dangerous, is when we look at scriptures and we just think that there's some kind of an analogy being made here, just kind of a, a picture that's being painted. I've got to make sure you understand this today. When the Bible says that we put off the old man, that the old man dies so that the new man can live, this is not a metaphor. This is as literal as you can get. When Jesus is real to us and we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Guys, the old nature that's in us that we've been living with, it dies. It dies, and the new nature of God comes to live on the inside of us. Do you understand? It's not a metaphor. Spiritually, when Jesus is our Lord, when we receive him, that we are transformed into a new being, a new man from the inside out. The spirit of God lives on the inside of us. It's like we have holy DNA now. The Bible says that Peter said this. He says you become partakers of the divine nature. So that spiritual nature that we had before Jesus, guys, that was caught up in sin, that was trapped in the bondages of sin, that had no chance to beat the enemy in his tactics, that new man comes alive in us when the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us. And that new man has a new nature, a godly nature, and we share in that nature of victory that Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death so that we can continue to walk in victory in this life. Now, I don't know about you, I love Jesus. I've loved Jesus for 15 years with all my heart. I've loved him, I've served him, but I have not got it all right. And there's been days and there's been times where I've screwed things up and I've made a mess of things. My wife can vouch for that, I promise you. She's smiling, yeah. And, but listen. I'm just wanting to tell you guys, if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like the enemy's just beating on you, he's just taking his shots and he's just pounding on you and he's just letting you have it with everything that he can, don't fight the battle as the old man. The old man is is lost. The old man doesn't understand the victory and the power, right? We were trapped before. You've gotta recognize that you are a new creation in Christ, the Bible says. There's a reason why Paul says, put off the old man and put on the new man. He's, he's using words that are like how we would get dressed, how we would take clothes off, and how we would put clothes on. And what he's saying is, he's, he's this is what he's doing, just like I wanna to do to you today, just like I wanna to do to myself every day, is he's saying, listen, you are a new creature, you're a new creation, you're a new man, He's trying to draw on what's inside of them and pull that outward in their lives so that they live outwardly the way that they ought to be for the price that's been paid and the change that's happened internally. He's saying, listen, there's no reason for you to live defeated anymore, there's no reason for you to live in bondage anymore. You don't understand. You've got everything you need. The full power of Christ is in you now. You're a new man. Begin to live outwardly the way that aligns with what the change that's happened inwardly ought to validate for you. Amen? And I think, and I think to myself, gosh, that's it? I just... I've just got to live in a way every day where I, I know in faith that I'm not the man that I used to be. Thank God Jesus has changed me. But the same power that comes to save me, that gives me eternal life. This is huge. The same power that saves you is the same power that enables you to live Each and every day in victory, the way you're meant to live. Isn't that amazing? Stop trying to do it on your own. Look, you don't come to Jesus, make him your Lord and Savior, get born again, only to go out and try to live your life on your own with your own strength, being something that you think you're supposed to be. How crazy is that, right? You don't have power to save yourself. Do we? No. We don't have power to live the life on our own that God has called us to live. It's his power in us that enables us to walk in victory, to put the enemy under our feet, to have uh, the bondages of sin and temptation and all the things that come against us take their knee to the God that lives inside of us. Amen? Listen, I prayed... This simple prayer, 15 years ago almost to the day, Jesus come into my heart. I was done. I was at the end of myself. I recognized that I did not have the answers to what is this life about. And I I found Jesus. And all I can do is tell you my story, but I just want to tell you that I have never been the same since that day. That... What I'm explaining to you about the new man was as real as it could ever be to anybody, any place ever, as it became to me that day when the Spirit of God came to live on the inside of me and I was born again. There was no mistaking it. You realize when we receive Jesus, when we pray that prayer, God, come into my heart, I turn from my old ways and I want to turn and live for you now. This isn't some some journey that we just begin of self-help. This isn't like a prayer that we say to kind of make us feel good for the next couple of days or the next week, kind of keep us going for a while until we come back to get another shot in the arm when we're down. That is nothing of what this is. This is a moment where we come to the end of ourself. Guys, and the old man dies. The old man dies and a new man begins to live. We are all created to walk in this newness of life that Jesus paid the ultimate price on that cross for us to have. The Bible tells us that the will of God is that none should perish. God wants every single one of his creation to become his children, to live in eternity with him. And so I just extend the invitation to you today. I ask you right now, maybe bow your head and close your eyes just right where you are. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never given your life to him, you say, Pastor, I've heard this story many times before. I've heard it, but I can honestly say, that I have never come to the end of myself and asked Jesus into my heart. I've never been born again. If you were to ask me today, am I a new man inside? I would not know how to answer that. If that's you, I believe that today is your day. Eternity hangs in the balance. This is about more than just how you feel when you walk out of here today. This is about where you're gonna spend eternity And this is about how you're going to live the rest of the days that you have left on this earth out. Are you going to live it as a new man in power, in victory, with your foot on the head of the enemy? Or are you going to let him just keep pounding and beating on you and keeping you under his bondage and oppression for the rest of your time? I plead with you. Ask Jesus into your heart right now. While your head is bowed, while your eyes closed, say, Dear Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I turn from my old life, and I turn to you now. I want to make you Lord. God, come to live on the inside of me. Make me this new man that you've created me to be. Bring death to the old man, God, and bring life to the new man, that I may live the way that you've created me to live. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. I just want to announce to you today, according to the written word of God, if you prayed that prayer, if you met that in your heart, open before God, that you are born again. The Bible says that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. It's an irrevocable seal. God comes to live on the inside of you. He marks you as his son or his daughter. Walk in obedience and faithfulness to him. Get plugged into a good body of believers. Begin to get sharpened and raise yourself up to become everything that God has created you to be. There's a world out there that's hurting, it's dying, and it's lost. The answers that they're presenting, they're not going to work. It's futile. We need the people of God to be raised up strong in this country, living the life that he's created us to live, to see the effectual change that we want to see happen in our nation. And I believe that God is not done with this nation yet. He's going to get a hold of America, and he's going to use the church, people raising up on fire for God, getting a revelation about their purpose and their destiny, knowing that Jesus paid a price so that the enemy can't hold them in bondage anymore. We're free to be all we're called to be. Jesus has set us free.